Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Welcome back to another week of travel news, travel tips, and travel chats. You know, that's my favorite subject, don't you? (laughs) Well, it's Black History Month and we're celebrating every week with Black History sites, museums, and attractions. We have some fantastic chats for you throughout the entire month. And this week, we're chatting with owner and founder of the Museum for Black Girls in Washington, DC. And because Valentine's Day is coming up, we're checking in with different cultures on how they celebrate Valentine's Day and the culture report. But right now, let's get into a little travel news. Delta Airlines has rolled out free Wi-Fi on domestic mainland flights. The complimentary internet service provided in partnership with T-Mobile is currently available on more than 500 Delta aircraft. The carrier will also offer the service on more than 700 Viasat-equipped aircraft by the end of 2023 and has plans to launch free Wi-Fi on international and regional aircraft by the end of 2024. To connect, travelers can turn their phone to airplane mode and then turn on Wi-Fi. Next, they must select the DeltaWiFi.com network or visit DeltaWiFi.com via their browser. Finally, customers will sign in with their Delta SkyMiles username and password to access the free internet. Those without an account can create one for free. The vision, according to CEO Ed Bastian, has long been to deliver an experience at 30,000 feet that feels similar to what our customers have available on the ground. Delta also revealed plans for Delta Sync Exclusives Hub a new mobile platform launching later this spring, and it's designed to improve the in-flight connectivity experience through exclusive offers and access entertainment. Talking about Delta, I wanted to share with you a Delta story that I have, and I'm not sure you may have encountered it or not, because apparently, while it was fairly new to me, it is published on their website, and sometimes you're notified of it, and sometimes you're not notified of it. This is when using a third-party credit card. What I mean by this is that the cardholder is not one of the travelers, but they're buying the airline ticket for that person. So as we are a travel company with our corporate card, we often, actually more times than not, use our credit card to purchase tickets for our clients and customers, as do many corporations, especially for business and or corporate travel. Well, in this particular case, I had a traveler at the airport trying to check in for a flight and was advised by Delta that they could not do so without presenting the credit card used to purchase the ticket. Now, what I was told by Delta is that for certain flights or routes, especially those for Africa and India, where there are high cases of fraud, that this is their policy. However, I have issued other tickets on Delta and I've issued other tickets to Africa not necessarily India, and I've never received this. I believe in this case because it is business class and it was high ticket. Now, my other issue with this is that it was not a last minute ticket. This ticket had been issued months ago. So I would think at some point I would have received an email or something that says that this credit card has to be 
verify so that you don't have to have a situation like I did where I had to go to the airport, even though it wasn't in the same city. You just had to go to any airport and Delta ticket counter to show the credit card and so that they could validate that it was not a lost or stolen or a fraudulent type of purchase. However, it was very inconvenient for not only me, but my client as well to have to wait and not be able to check in for their flight and for me to have to actually drive, physically drive to the airport to present my credit card. I was not a happy camper. So just be on the lookout in the event this does happen to you, that you are purchasing a ticket for someone and you're not traveling with them on Delta. However, I suspect you won't encounter this issue unless the person is traveling to Africa or India and possibly in business class. Just something to think about. Nevada's M Resort is protected by new security guard and it is an autonomous robot. Yes, <laughs> a 450 pound autonomous robot called MBOT has joined the security team at Henderson, Nevada's M Resort Spa and Casino. It's equipped with 50 sensors and cameras. MBOT complements the large human security department already patrolling the casino grounds. It can go anywhere on the gaming floor. It can also go to parking areas. The robots also have some beneficial security features. If someone is in need of help, they can press a button and be connected instantly to a security dispatcher. The dispatcher can speak to the guest via an intercom on the robot, and the MBOT can record what happens around it. The robot will stop if a person or motor vehicle gets in its path. It can also speak such words like, excuse me, hello, step away, welcome, as well as authorities have been notified. Mbot lasts some 22 hours a day on a full charge. It returns to a charging station when it needs to be charged and it's believed to be the first robot found in Clark County that is regularly out on patrol at a casino. Yes, robots are on the rise. The use of robots seem to be increasingly popular in other casinos, entertainment spaces, and restaurants. Last month, Las Vegas's Sapphire Gentlemen's Club was patrolled by a massive 4.4-ton robot during CES weekend called Mech. The bot, Johnson, it had the dual role of bouncer security guard. The robot was 15 feet tall and weighed 8,800 pounds. The machine was controlled in conjunction with security at the Sapphire. Oklahoma's Choctaw Casino and Resort was one of the last gaming properties to use robots to automate restaurant service. Last year, the spot began using robots to bring food and drinks to customers' tables and return dishes to the kitchen. The robots are equipped with 13 cameras and the robots also speak more than 80 languages. They can even sing happy birthday to guests celebrating at the casino. And yes, you can certainly see them in the future of service jobs. In many cases nationwide, the new technology is being employed because a shortage of workers that are willing to take on jobs. Of course, this has left some wondering if a non-human employee will take over their service job. In 2020, the World Economic Forum released a report estimating that by 2025, 85 million jobs may be displaced by a shift in labor division between humans and machines. In Vegas, two out of three jobs could potentially become automated according to a 2018 study from the National Association of Workforce Boards and 
the Bertelsmann Foundation. Bethany Kahn, a spokeswoman for Culinary Workers Union, Local 226, representing about 60,000 workers in Las Vegas's hospitality industry, told Casino.org that there are no robots in establishment where culinary members are employed. That's partly due to a 2018 contract guaranteeing job training and retaining to offset the replaced jobs. U.S. travelers will soon have to pay to enter the United Kingdom. The UK will implement a new ETA system that requires travelers to apply for permission to enter the country. U.S. visitors, as well as visitors from Europe, Australia, and Canada, will soon be required to apply for permission to enter the UK through a new scheme known as electronic travel authorization. The United Kingdom government is in the process of fully digitizing UK borders by the end of 2025, and the ETA scheme will play its part allowing individuals and carriers with more assurance at an earlier point in time about their ability to travel to the UK. The scheme will be in place by the end of this year, 2023, and visitors will be required to fill out an online application granting them permission to travel. There will be a small fee included in the application, similar to how the U.S.'s own ESTA, or Electronic System, for travel authorization system works for UK travelers. And here's how it works. It's not a visa. The ETA system will grant travelers permission to enter the country. You will need to apply for an ETA prior to arrival. And if you haven't received permission to travel before arrival, you may get fined. Travelers will be advised to apply for an ETA at least a few days before their journey. An approval should be granted within 72 hours of application. That means that you need to start this process at least a week prior if it can take up to 72 hours of the application. After your ETA has been approved, visitors will be granted permission to stay in the UK for six months, whether for business or tourism reasons. The UK government is yet to confirm how often visitors will need to apply for a new ETA, but it's likely to be valid for two years, meaning there's no need to apply for a new one every time you visit within the validity period. Regarding the cost, the government currently has said the cost will be small. The EU implemented a similar system in 2022, which costs seven euro. A US ESTA, meanwhile, costs $21. We're yet to see how much the UK will charge for its ETA. The full list of nations included in those who have to apply for an ETA has not been announced as of yet. However, we do know that U.S. citizens who do not hold a visa will need to apply for an ETA, as will other visa-exempt nations like Canada and Australia. European countries are likely to be included as well. Those traveling from nationalities without a visa-free agreement with the UK will still need to apply for another applicable type of UK visa. You'll need a valid passport, an email address to register, and to supply the details for your travel, as well as a valid debit or credit card to pay for any applicable fees. Now, Valentine's Day is coming up, so I wanted to talk about or find some of the best and romantic destinations. Yeah, because sometimes it's not only what you're gonna do, but where are you gonna go? And <laughs> Number one is no surprise. Paris. One of the things in looking at, of course, how romantic the city is, restaurants, hotels, nightlife, and certainly romantic activities. So strolling along the banks of the Seine, wandering through historic gardens or admiring original works at the Louvre, 
those all things are considered to be romantic. Number two is San Francisco, another destination I absolutely love. It is perfect for lovers. You can visit the Golden Gate Bridge with the plethora of restaurants and its proximity to wine country. San Francisco is a beautiful destination and a very romantic one. Amsterdam is third on the list if you're visiting in the spring, especially, although Valentine's Day is in the winter. <laughs> Number four is Barcelona, Spain. I do love Barcelona, or as they would say, Barcelona, a very romantic place, wonderful restaurants, exciting nightlife. Yes, especially if you're into nightlife. They have the opera house there as well. And certainly if you love ballet, it's a nice city to take in ballet. Lisbon, Portugal. Yes. Think about sherry and port, some wonderful beverages in Lisbon. Also some great seafood there. They're right along the water and they have some wonderful strolls, numerous bars, shops, and restaurants. You can visit Belvedere of Our Lady of the Hill. They have stunning views of all of Lisbon. So any place with a nice view is always very romantic. Florence, Italy. Yes, one of my all-time favorite destinations. I mean, there's so many picture-perfect and postcard views, especially of the Chianti region, the wine country, but Tuscany is absolutely beautiful, and Florence is the capital of Tuscany. Well, that's all I've got for travel news, and when we come back, the founder and owner of Museum for Black Girls in Washington, D.C. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com, connect with me on social media, and join the Travel Club. Today, I have a wonderful opportunity to speak to a phenomenal Black woman, and she's doing some phenomenal things, one of which I think is so necessary today. She is the founder of the Museum for Black Girls, Charlie Billingsley. Hello, Charlie, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. I'm so excited about it. And I'm really beating myself up for not knowing about it, to be honest with you. So I really have to thank my assistant for bringing it to my attention. And again, just super excited about it. And there's so many wonderful museums celebrating Black people, Black culture. And I really think that that's so necessary today. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how we got to the Museum for Black Girls. Absolutely. So I am a Denver, Colorado native, grew up in just a tribe and house full of Black women. And I'm also a photographer. So back in 2019, I wanted to do a gallery showing for my birthday. All of my photography work is dedicated to just the elevation empowering Black women. But I wanted to make it more immersive and experiential instead of just kind of posting pictures in a gallery. So that is kind of how we birthed the Museum for Black Girls. I wanted to recreate settings that told our stories and our journeys and our achievements. So you'll kind of find like a grandma's kitchen 
in the actual museum with the press and comb and the Marcells and a golden salon chair, which is really significant for a lot of Black women around the world. It's amazing to hear all of those stories. So that's kind of how we got started. It was a one night event that has just turned into now three years of just celebrating Black women in a safe space. I am so glad you said that. I never forget. So I don't have children, but I have three beautiful nieces. And it was one of the things that I did with them. And I was probably the first to take them to a salon appointment, a hair appointment. And I never forget the look on their face and what they cherished about it. And then the other people at the salon really embraced them, other Black women. And they wanted to make sure they had such a great experience. And I never forget one of my nieces when I took her for the first time. You know, this was the place that I had gone. So she really felt like a big girl. And my hairstylist asked her, what did she want to do with her hair? And she said, I want it to match my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) And she had on these little black patent leather shoes. So we all got a kick out of that. But it was such a community at the salon itself. So Mm -hmm. I just love that idea. And so how quickly did it go from a one night event to a museum? Oh, my goodness. Let me even backtrack a little bit just to say how much it evolved. So I had this idea and I put it on Facebook as an event, like privately. I just created the event on my page and I left it alone for about a month. I was just like, I'm scared. I don't know if I'm going to do it, but we'll put it out there. And I went back to the event a month later and it had like over 2000 people interested. So I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do it now and got started on it. I ended up taking over one of my friend's boutiques, a very small boutique, getting some of my friends together. My aunt, who has been a prominent part of the culture of the Museum for Black Girls and creating this experience. And so the night we had it, we had done so much work and we opened the doors and my aunt was just like, everyone's eyes lit up like, oh my gosh, this is a space for me. And it was so beautiful. And people who missed the opening night were like, we want to see it. We want to see it. So we extended it for two weeks. And we just have been extending it ever since. Because every time we try to close, people are like, I haven't got to come. I want to go. And it just kept extending it from there. And it's truly been just a joy to continue creating and elevating this experience for people now all over and to go to different cities and just to hear this other stories of Black women that come in space. It seems like it kind of started as a pop-up museum and it just kept going and going and going. And it really gives you a great opportunity, as you said, to do that all around the country. That's fantastic. Yep, exactly. (laughs) One of the things you talked about was the immersive experience. What kind of experiences are you creating at the Museum for Black Girls? Yes. So I'm really a person that needs to interact with art and the creativity. And I think that art itself is evolving into that type of realm. So like I said, you'll find the grandma's kitchen where you can sit in this golden salon chair and play with these press and cones while you're learning about them. We have a hanging curlers room. We actually have a salon in the space as well with golden hair dryers. So different kind of experiences like that. The one in Denver, we had like a Beyonce theater where you got to watch the homecoming documentary because she was one of the first Black women to headline Coachella. So you'll kind of see just different things like that. We have a cloud tunnel that one of our artists created just saying that Black women are heaven sent. 
So it was really just a cool and creative way to celebrate Black women and to give Black women their flowers. That's what we like to say. It's a space giving Black women their flowers. Very much needed and long overdue. And one thing that I liked about what Beyonce did with Coachella was to really highlight the collegiate cultural experience Mm -hmm. with HBCUs. And I thought to be able to do that on that stage and being the first Black woman to headline Coachella, I thought was awesome because that is a major cultural experience in the Black community is HBCU experience, which is very unlike experiences at mainstream universities. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I love that Black women are using their platform to make those statements in places where it otherwise would not be highlighted. And I, I love that about Beyonce. And I love that about all the Black women just in the media that are evolving today. And that's what we actually call the museum. So it's called the Museum for Black Girls, a tribute to the evolution of Black girl magic, because we have come so far and it's so beautiful to watch. Absolutely love it. Now, there's a part that you say here, enhancing the vision of Black women supporting each other. The mission is also to provide opportunities for collaboration with as many underrepresented creatives of color as possible. And the reason that resonates with me is because of this Shanquella Robinson story. And this is my own opinion that I'm seeing a huge force in positive Black women, girls, females direction. I'm seeing a parallel to that. I'm seeing some negativity that's happening at the same time. And I think they've been equally as strong. And for those of you, if you haven't heard or unfamiliar, Shanquella Robinson went to Mexico with a group of friends or frenemies. We don't know at this point, but within 24 hours, she was dead. And this may have been at the hands of those friends and or frenemies. And, you know, this is what I'm seeing at the same time, the very positive things that you and I are talking about right now, but they're going parallel and at the same time. Tell me your thoughts on that and how that's related in the museum. Well, I think for one, there's too many stories similar to this one happening to Black women, specifically to Black women. And that's very unfortunate. And this is why we have to have more spaces like this where we're showing Black girls love and we're creating safe spaces to be who you are. And we're creating a village inside of the museum for Black girls because Black girls deserve to be protected. And we're the most unprotected still today in this world. We deserve to be loved. We deserve to know that we're worthy. And sending prayers to Shankwilla's family. But it's unfortunate that we have to constantly hear these stories happening to Black women. And so I'm super blessed to have created a space where Black women can come to feel safe, where if they don't have anyone, they have us. We always say this is a space to celebrate yourself. If you do not celebrate yourself anywhere else, you have that confidence to celebrate it inside the Museum for Black Girls. We've had so many just women in Denver, where we opened, bring their adoptive children to the Museum for Black Girls just to feel included and to learn their history and know where they're from and to know that there's a Black girl that looks just like them that cares about them and cares about their safety and cares about who they are and cares about what they have going on. And I like the part of enhancing the vision of Black women supporting each other. I think that running parallel to those negative aspects can really help bridge that gap. And I think there's a generation as well. You talked earlier about those experiences and those women that you had around you. 
and we were having an earlier conversation where you were saying the unfortunate events that we were talking about may have a lot to do with the lack of the village. Absolutely. I grew up with my grandma doing my hair in the kitchen, with my auntie doing my hair in the kitchen. My auntie is still my village today as I was building the Museum for Black Girls. I had no idea what I was doing and she just walked in one day and was like, what can I do? And she never left. And so really having those type of people in your corner and that type of village supporting you so that we know to have ethics and to have morals and to have empathy for each other and to have respect for each other. And that's one of the biggest reasons why the Museum for Black Girls was created, because I got tired of seeing Black girls and women created in a negative light, where our highlight, if you watch it in the media, is our traumas, our pain, we're angry. But in reality, we're beautiful women who are the foundation of everything. We're creators, we're creative, we're joyful, we're actually very happy. We will joke with you, we will laugh with you, we will do your hair. And just being a Black woman in itself is a village. And so more and more Black women are coming out to take care of each other and to be at ease. And so to hear stories like this is reasons why we have to keep creating the villages for each other. Because unfortunately, those villages that I had growing up are not the same villages that these young women have today. So very true. And a couple of things you touched on, and you already have this as part of the Museum for Black Girls is hair. Our coming together, our stories, is so much about our hair. So I love that you have that golden chair, the salon type, and just kind of those stories about the hair. And it seems to be a huge topic of discussion today. The recent series that's been out, Black Hair, is really resonating with a lot of people because all you have to do is mention hair in the Black community, and there's a long story and discussion surrounding it. Yep, absolutely. Our hair is our crown. Our hair is our story. Our hair is our evolution. Our hair is our statement. Our hair is our power. And it's just been so beautiful to watch it evolve so much. I went from growing up with perms and getting my hair pressed and curled for Sunday school and school pictures to now where we have these women, for one, fighting for our rights. You know, we just had the Crown Act passed just a couple of years ago, which is crazy, but that's our story and that's our reality. But that's also our evolution of how far we've come to my daughter asking me what a perm is. It's hilarious. So our hair, it is a part of our journey. And so I love that we're able to highlight that experience. Yeah, I tell you a story. I do a lot of trips to South Africa. And one of the stories out of South Africa is that the young girls weren't allowed to wear their hair in braided or even natural styles like an Afro. This is the way our hair grows out of our scalp. And so in a lot of cases, they were forced to shave their heads to go to school. And this is in South Africa. So when we talk about hair stories, it's monumental. And I don't think other people really understand that. It is definitely monumental. So I'm really so excited about the Museum for Black Girls. You talk about creating a sensory museum. What are those other immersive parts of the museum? Yes, absolutely. So what you'll find in the Museum for Black Girls is we have our first to do it room. So you'll find a television kind of highlighting all these Black women that were first to achieve things. So you'll see Maya Angelou in there. You'll see Kamala. 
you will see Amanda Gordon, you will see all of these beautiful Black women just highlighted of how they paved the way for us. You'll see a room full of Black women inventors um, that invented things that we wouldn't have access to today. So the GPS system, the science for the telephones, the Black women who invented rock, rock and roll. So you'll see an interactive room for that. We have a flower tunnel, because like we say, we're giving Black girls their flowers. We have a tennis room dedicated to Serena and Venus Williams and all of the other Black tennis players that have kind of paved the way, especially because she has retired this year. So we have a room dedicated to that. We also have a room dedicated to the NASA ladies. So you'll see kind of a galaxy experience with information about the women um, that contributed to NASA. I actually just watched that movie and it was amazing. Amazing. So behind on that. But Black women, I'm just amazed at how much we have been able to do and also how undervalued we are. But we do all the things and we do them exceptionally well. So you'll kind of find just a mixture of all of those things. We actually have a dedication to the sororities too, an oversized hair store. So just so many different creative things to celebrate Black girls and Black women. Love it's it. It's not your typical museum, but it's definitely an experience is what I like to say. Love it. So the museum started out in Denver. Other locations? Yes. So we started out in Denver and then we popped up in Houston last year. And we've been in Houston for about a year and a half now. And we just newly opened in D.C., which we're super, super excited about. We're in the Union Market District of D.C., so we're super excited and we're just going to keep growing and keep going to other cities. You actually mentioned Chicago, which is on our list for next year. So we're excited to just keep popping up all over the world so that we can reach as many Black girls as we can and also collaborate with as many artists in those cities as we can. Yes. I wish you were there when I had my Girl Scout troop many years ago. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. We're coming. We're coming. We, again, it's, we've evolved. And so we're here and, you know, hopefully we can make it back or at least reach the young girls that are there. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very, very happy to do that. And museums always need support. How can someone support the museum? Absolutely. You can support us by purchasing a ticket. There's also ways to donate online. This is a very, very grassroots project. It was put together by myself, my aunt, my cousin, and one of my friends. There's literally four of us that have built the museum from the ground up, especially in D.C. So we're still a very small business but we want to reach as many people as we can. So if you go to our website, there is an option to donate or purchase tickets and just come by and support and spread the word. Word of mouth is always great. So let your friends know, follow us on social media so that we can just keep letting everyone know that we're here. What's your website and yes. how do we stay in touch? Yes, ma'am. So the website is www.themuseumforblackgirls.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Museum for Black Girls or TikTok and Facebook at the Museum for Black Girls. And you can stay in touch with us there. We always post all of our updates. We have a lot of events coming up, especially for the holidays. So if you check us out there, you can see everything that we have going on so that you can stop by and support and enjoy. Yes, absolutely. We do have the holidays coming up. And what kind of events do you have? 
Absolutely. So this Sunday and December 10th, we have our Black Girl Magic Holiday Market coming up where we're featuring 15 to 20 small Black-owned, female-owned businesses. So you can come shop with them for the holidays. We have our Take Care Black Girl Sundays happening in December with yoga classes. We will have Mommy and Me events. And we also have an R&B Paint and Sip Night coming up in December as well. So a lot of fun stuff going on in the space. And we will post all of that to our social medias under our events tab on our website, www.themuseumforblackgirls.com. Charlie, thank you so much for joining me today. What a pleasure. And I will be visiting your museum in Washington, D.C., my hometown. So I'm there often. Yes, we cannot wait to host you and to see you. And again, thank you so, so much for having us and just highlighting the museum. Thank you so much. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, food, music, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report. It is that time of year again. It's the time that we celebrate love. And I think that it's so much needed, especially today that we need to stop and smell the roses and think about one another and how we want to express our love. So today in our culture report, we're talking about the culture of love. We have Valentine's Day coming up, but it's not just about Valentine's Day. It's about how we celebrate love, how our culture celebrates love. On the phone with me is Janine Jarvis, who is the Deputy Director and Director of Communications for Jordan Tourism Board, North America. Hello, Janine, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hi, Javon. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we're talking about love. How do Jordanians celebrate love? Jordanians are rooted in Bedouin tradition, which is all about hospitality, all about showing love to family and to visitors, anyone. And they celebrate it similar to everywhere else in the world, February 14th. And people go out for dinner and restaurants make it really special and romantic and hotels do special things for their guests and have special events. So very similar to how it's done here in the U.S. Well, traditionally speaking, I guess what we call here PDA. So traditionally speaking, how do couples interact in Jordan? I would say it's the same like anywhere. Obviously, it's a little more of a conservative society. So public display of affection is not common or not something that's done but in the privacy of their homes. And just from people that I know, couples and families that I know, very similar style as anywhere else, to be honest. Then I have to say that whoever came up with Valentine's Day did a heck of a job marketing it. For <laughs> sure. It gone yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I have to mention, and you may have gotten a hint from Janine's accent that she's actually from Jamaica. So how did you wind up at Jordan Tourism? So yes, and I get that question all the time, actually. It's usually a discussion starter too. When I moved to the States, I moved to the States in 99 for university. 
And when I graduated and was looking for a job, the tourism board, which is based in Virginia, near to where I went to university, was open for interns. And so I started as an intern and they took me on my first trip to Jordan on a press trip to train me. And the rest is history. That was in March of 2007. And then they brought me on full time. And my first trip to Jordan, I fell in love with the people, the destination, the product, everything. And that's where I got my introduction actually into the travel and tourism industry. How apropos that you fell in love with Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) But if I can, you know, maybe ask you some questions about how Jamaicans celebrate love. Is there a Valentine's Day or is there a unique tradition that Jamaicans have in celebrating love? Jamaicans do have their own unique ways of, you know, showing their love and celebrating for sure in our own Caribbean centric way. But again, very similar. We go out for dinners or we're expected to be taken out by our partners for dinners. And, you know, in Jamaican culture, they'll have like a Valentine's Day dance. That's the Jamaican dance hall and reggae cultural side. They'll just have a dance of love and they'll play lovers rock or lovers music, but, you know, from, you know, reggae lovers rock. So I would say in that way, it can be a little unique, but it's very similar otherwise where we exchange gifts, buy each other's gifts, go out for dinners and so on. And is it celebrated on the same day, February 14th? It is celebrated on the same day. Yes. Ah, okay. Well, I would like to see the United States get back to simpler times. I think that it has really gotten a little out of hand with the, the extravagance of the gifts. I like just the simplicity of it with the flowers and maybe candy and maybe dinner or something like that. Yes. But it seems over the years it has gotten very extravagant with it the- has. <laughs> with the you, gifts. What I found too is like in Jamaica and even Jordan, what we would also do is like go for the weekend to a resort. So whereas maybe like while I'm here in the US, but in Jamaica, you know, people say I live where you vacation. We have the easy access of going to a beautiful resort and spending a romantic weekend away. And like Jordan, for example, I think what I've seen from a Valentine's perspective is that a lot of people are doing destination getaways, you know. So I would say just like Jamaica, Jordan is a wonderful destination for a romantic getaway as well. It has a lot to offer from that standpoint. And that's where I think a lot of people can experience Jordan through Valentine's. Yeah, something to think about. And I love the history, going back to Jamaica, I love the history of dance hall. A few years back, I had a representative on from Jamaican Tourism, and he talked about the history of reggae and dance hall and ska, how it evolved into what we know reggae to be today, and then also dance hall as well. One thing that just cracked me up. He said, for example, his parents back in, I guess, the 50s would mm-hmm. have these dances and they would call them rent a tile. <laughs> but I love the way he said it with his accent, you know, rent a tile. <laughs> and because they would dance so close, they would basically be on one tile of the <laughs> floor and never move. I just love that story. I never forget that story because I can just imagine it. But then to give it that name of rent a tile, get your spot rent-a-tile. and stand there get with your, your sweet mm-hmm. dance. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Well, Janine, it's been such a lovely time talking with you and getting to know you a little bit better and sharing Jordan and Valentine's Day traditions with me. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And happy Valentine's Day. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. You know what? You've got to join the Travel Club because we go some fantastic places and we want you to join us on any of these many immersive cultural experiences around the globe. Also follow us on social media so that you can stay connected to where we're going, what we're doing, and you can share your stories too. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, food, music, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report. What other country do you look at or think about when you think about romance and love? As we are talking about ways in which Valentine's Day is celebrated around the world, I definitely had to think about France. And giving us a little bit of insight is Gael Werner, who is with the French Government Tourist Office, head of business tourism at Atout France. Hello, Gael, and thank you so much for joining us and sharing a bit of love with us today. Hello, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk about France and love and Valentine's Day. First of all, is Valentine's Day February 14th in France? Yes, absolutely. Same day. Same day. And is it what we expect or is it kind of the unexpected? So do French and or Parisians celebrate Valentine's Day in this big magical way? Or is it something that's quite simple? Well, we absolutely celebrate Valentine's Day. And just to give you maybe one example, as someone who was born and raised in Paris, you know, what can be done in Paris during Valentine's Day and sort of what I have done. (laughs) Paris is known also as a city of light. So Paris is obviously maybe in the movie that you've seen or if you've been to Paris, very romantic at night because of all the lights, the sort of orange light throughout the city on buildings that have clear color with the stones that are being used, which is called the Pierre de Taille. So the scenery is already there. And Valentine's Day, I think it's always a great opportunity to take your significant other to, I would say, a restaurant or what I have done. And I think it's a must do while in Paris is to take your significant other to a boat cruise and have dinner on the boat. Take a trip along the Seine River. And in the meantime, you can have enjoy fine dining and being able to see all the monuments. So I think that's really what's magical about Paris is just the ambiance, the overall ambiance that's there. Now, what is the most popular suite that one will buy 
for Valentine's Day in France. And I have to say that you're a young man, so I guess this is really the best topic for you because you're in that age range where you're still in the dating and the courting and all of those things. So if you were to buy your sweetie a sweet for Valentine's Day, what would that be? I would definitely make a stop at La Maison du Chocolat. They also have a few stores in the U.S., um, but in Paris, uh, La Maison du Chocolat, or if I'm looking at macaroons, I would go with La Durée or Pierre Hermé. And what's really popular lately are pastries from the pastry chef Cédric Grollet. So he does a technique which is called trompe l'œil. So essentially it's a pastry that, for instance, has the shape of a lemon, and for Valentine's Day, you would have maybe the shape of a, of a heart. And inside, if it's the shape of a lemon, when you cut it open, it looks exactly like a lemon, but then the taste would be totally different, it would be maybe chocolate. So I think probably something like that would be a great option. And what is the most popular flower that one would buy for Valentine's Day? Definitely roses. Ah, okay. So roses, hands down. I think that's a pretty global <laughs> flower, but I know some countries have different flowers, but definitely the rose is probably the most romantic, especially a red rose. Do they still do the love locks in Paris? I would say fortunately or unfortunately, no, we don't. So the bridge where all the locks, where the tourists were putting the locks, was at a risk of collapse. And also because of an environmental issues and some of the locks falling in the Seine River, the city of Paris decided to stop. But I'll tell you what, there's one bridge right next to it that I'm not gonna, going to name, but a few other visitors still, I would say, sort of do that, but at another bridge. So it's more the tourists or the visitors that are doing it, not yeah. the Parisians. So yeah. <laughs> if you think you're following a Parisian tradition, it isn't so. It's what the visitors are doing. What about champagne? Well, champagne is a must, I would say. You will have two options. For me, personally, I love sweets and I love to end the dinner with a glass of champagne along with a dessert. But for a lot of French people, the champagne is more seen as sort of the beginning of the dinner. So, yeah, definitely champagne. And the great thing is you can have options from the 15-euro range in Paris up until, I would say, no limit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gael, thank you so much for sharing your Valentine's Day with us. We certainly do appreciate it. Thank you. Hello, my name is Lindsay Hunt, and I am representing for the countries of Panama and Nicaragua. I currently reside in Silver Spring, Maryland. In Nicaragua and Panama, Valentine's Day traditions have become a little bit more westernized. However, there is still some cultural traditions that are upheld. Like Valentine's Day here in the States, it is also on February 14th for both countries. Usually how the locals celebrate it in Panama and Nicaragua, it is celebrated with usual customs of dinner, gifts, etc. like how it is here in the westernized world. And as mentioned earlier, 
there are certain traditions that are upheld as far as like cultural wise, like what they decide to do for their day. And as far as me celebrating Valentine's Day, I personally don't celebrate it. I'm the type of person that I firmly believe that you don't need a day to show someone that you love them because that should be obviously shown every day. However, if I was to be taken out on Valentine's Day, I just want something that's so intrapersonal, whether it's like going out for a walk or even dinner and just something that's just thoughtful that will have me like in my mind stimulated in a sense just something that kind of gets us closer that isn't like in the traditional sense but i also do like flowers and chocolates too preferably dark chocolates hi my name is Oli, and i'm from iceland valentine's day is celebrated on 14th of february but there's not a lot of people who celebrate it here in iceland at least i don't but some people are celebrating it but it is not a huge deal in, here in Iceland because we have our own days, Icelandic traditional uh, days. One is uh, a special man's day or husband day. Another one is the woman's day. We celebrate that more than uh, Valentine's Day. But we have been taking some traditions from uh, America, such as Halloween and Valentine's Day. And some people uh, celebrate it. How do you celebrate it then? You know, if I just take, for example, Women's Day or the Husband Day, we usually have a nice meal at home and maybe go out to the movies or give a small present or do something special. Do a little bit different than, uh, you know, every other day. Where do you go? You know, it differs. Sometimes you go to the movies, sometimes you go out to eat, sometimes you just stay home, as I said, and uh, buy some sweets or uh, cook good food. Usually uh, good meat on husband day, at least. That's what we love. And on Women's Day, I definitely buy flowers for my wife. So uh, that's for sure. And uh, then I have to cook, of course, and uh, treat her. That's something, uh, you know, I feel like I want to do for her during uh, that day. So she can just come home from uh, work and uh, just take it easy. Homemade or store-bought treats? I would say uh, store-bought treats, definitely. Don't know how to make it ourselves. So we just buy it and uh, buy something that we really like. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information.